you have your Bibles, and you ought to because I might read something different, I suggest you turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll be starting with verse 15. The writer of Hebrews has been coming to a conclusion in his letter to those he's writing to, which includes you and me. And in doing that, he has been giving us practical application. Much of the letter was devoted to doctrinal areas, talking about how Jesus was greater than so many different things. And then he talked about encouragement and faith. He also gave us warnings about avoiding uh, false doctrines and those types of things. And then as he's come to his conclusion, he's writing and giving us, again, practical applications. And he's doing that in such a way that there are almost one verse at a shot. Here's a topic, one verse. Here's a topic. Here's one verse. And he doesn't delve deeply in it, but he tells us what we need to do. And he writes just enough for us to at least know what he's talking about and what we need to do. So in verse 15, he says, through him, through him being Jesus. So what he's about to do is what we're about to suggest that we do is through Jesus. It's not separate and apart from him, but what we're to do through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. So he tells us that when we praise God, we're to do it through Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who gives us access. Jesus is the one, as the writer told us in the beginning, that he is the exact representation and glory of God. So we give praise to God through Jesus. And so we are to do this. And then it says continually offering up. Now in the Old Testament system of sacrifices, they were done periodically. Passover was on a certain point of the year, and they offered offerings then. There was uh, other times of burnt offerings and other free will offerings, but those were, if you will, schedule. But the writer here is on us, no, no, we're not on a schedule. We are to continually offer up, which means we're not to stop. Paul tells us, for instance, we are to pray without ceasing. So in essence, we are to praise him without ceasing. Now, I believe words mean something. And there's a word here that bothers me, and I don't know quite how to explain it to you in the sense of what he means. So I'm going to tell you what I think, and I've been thinking about this for several weeks, and I still haven't come up with a satisfactory answer, but this is the best one I got. Maybe you've got another one. But notice it says that we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. I don't feel praising God is a sacrifice. It's something that comes from the heart. It's something that comes from that. It's something that we want to do. It's something that we ought to be doing because we respond to what God is doing. So the sense of sacrificing praise, does, right? you know, if, if it had been like Paul, who like said, you know, we are to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So if he would have said, we are to praise always. And again, I say praise. I'd go, okay, great. But he throws this word sacrifice in. And because my background as an attorney, words just aren't thrown in there. When the Holy Spirit's writing and, and, and being the author behind this writer, 
You mean something. So I'll tell you what I think. And again, I acknowledge that I'm not satisfied with it. And for as long as man has been on the earth, we've wanted to be God. When Satan lied to Adam and Eve, it was, God doesn't want you to do this because he knows you'll be like him. And throughout the history of the human race, that has been true. And unfortunately, it's also true often in the church. I'll give you some suggestions. There are some very popular songs that talks about if I have enough faith, miracles will happen. Or if I say the name of Jesus, or if I pray in Jesus' name, all of a sudden the glory is going to me because I am doing these things. And there's a sense that when we sing songs, that the emphasis is always seems to be on us. I don't think that's praise. There are places, I don't like those two examples, but there are places in Christian music where it's not necessarily worship. There are place, times and times when, when we need encouragement. So when things are not going well, and there are songs that help us to remind us that God is faithful. Now, in case you think I'm just ripping on modern music, I'm not. Even in the hymns, they tend to emphasize us. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. So I'm not picking generations. There has been a problem, if you will. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's not true worship when we emphasize us. So what I think the writer here is saying is we are to, we are to forget about us and praise his name. Even if I am standing in a pig pen full covered with sloth, I can still say, praise you, God. My circumstances doesn't affect my praise. Now, I meet, may meet a song that says, Lord, help me to get out of this slop because you love me. And th that's okay. I'm, I'm not criticizing that. But don't call that worship. Call that encouragement. Call that whatever. But it is not worship. And so on the ra Christian radio station, say, come along and worship with us. Then they'll play a bunch of songs that talk about how I need to know him better or I need to do these things. And, that, and so I think what he's saying here is a sacrifice of praise is, is you, get your, you kill yourself and you praise him. How great he is. How marvelous he is. That God, you have done great things and we can praise him for the great things that he has done. And that's appropriate. We can also say, God, you are great. Whether you do nothing in the future and whether you never answer a prayer of mine, or whether even when my prayers seem to hit the ceiling, I'm still going to praise you because you're awesome. That's to me a sacrifice of praise. That I am concentrated totally 100% on him and not me. And Lord knows that's difficult because we, like I said, I like me so much, I take me wherever I go. I laugh at all my jokes. I think I'm the most important person in the room. No, I don't. I want to be, but I know I'm not. Okay, but, but it's, it's, it's about me. But we have this sense of even when we're praising God, what we want to do is say, 
God, I'm so awesome, but I know I need to stop talking about me. So God, you start talking about me. No, no. Sacrifices, I'm going to set aside my wants, my needs. And the reason why I kind of dwelt on this is when I read this, there was a scripture that came to my mind. And it was when David had sinned. Now, when I say when David had sinned, he had sinned a lot. But he had done a census of the people, and God had told him not to do it. And then God came to him and said, I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to give you three options. Here are the options. And David picked one. And like most people, he picked the one that he thought would least affect him. But it affected everybody else. There was pestilence in the land. So he repented and he wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. And God says, okay, I want you to go, go and, and acquire the threshing floor of, of this one individual. So he goes to the owner of the threshing floor. He says, I want to buy it. The guy sees him coming with it. Then he goes, no, no, I'll give it to you. You're the king. I'll give it to you. As a matter of fact, I'll not only give you the threshing floor, I'm going to give you a bunch of oxen that you can kill and sacrifice. And here's the wood, and you can even use the burnt It's yours. And David's response is, I will not offer a sacrifice of burnt offering that costs me nothing. And so oftentimes I think we want to praise God that costs us nothing. But we are to offer a sacrifice of praise to God, which is a fruit of our lips, which means that they it's a fruit. It's not, it's not sourness, it's not it's the fruit, it's the benefit. It's like the fruit of the spirits. The fruit of our lips ought to be the praise to God. That give thanks to his name. Not to what he's doing for me, but what he is and who he is. And then after saying that we are to worship in this way and to continually offer these sacrifices of praise, he says, and, so here's another part of what we're to do, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now here again, doing good oftentimes is a sacrifice because we either got to deny ourselves or spend time with somebody else to assist them or spend money or do whatever it takes to benefit somebody. And so it can be much more easily seen as a sacrifice. Because quite frankly, I'd rather sit and do what I want to do. So it's a sacrifice to go help. So I get that. But notice it says, do not neglect in doing good. It didn't say do not neglect in having good intentions to do good. All of us, have good intentions to do good. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by that. It's getting further along than I remember, but probably a few decades. I was in um, Phoenix where our denomination was having a convention. And on my way to the convention, I stopped at this McDonald's. And I stopped at McDonald's for breakfast because... I like their breakfast, and they're cheaper, and it's quicker to do, uh, and whatever. So I stopped at McDonald's, 
and went because I had time, so I went inside to eat. And as I was going, this gentleman came up to me and said, could you uh, spare some money to get me for me to have breakfast? And so at that moment, being in a Christian environment, being whatever, I was a little more sensitive. And I go, if I just bought him breakfast, that would just be one. So I, so I took $20 out of my wallet and I thought, well, if he stayed at McDonald's or whatever, he could eat three or four meals. And so I thought that would be more beneficial than just getting him breakfast. And so I gave him a 20. And then I went on to order. And as I was ordering, I looked around and he wasn't there. I looked out the window and he was at the liquor store buying liquor. You see, I intended to feed him several meals. But that was not what happened. I intended good, but good did not result. And the world knows that. So what will happen frequently is when you want to go to a family meal and, and they pick Easter first fruits or whatever, and they know that you want to get out right away. So they'll come and they'll talk about having these needs. And you'll want to just whip out money to not be bothered because you want to go do your thing. But then you go, well, maybe I... And so there have been a couple of times when I've actually gone to the store. And my family gets irritated because I'm not there. And it was kind of a waste of time because they talked about getting baby formula, but they really didn't buy baby formula. But again, you're trying to do good and not be a victim of stuff. Doing good's hard. Having good intentions is a lot easier. But notice the word here doesn't say that you have good intentions. As a matter of fact, our culture has this little saying that says, the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not good enough to intend good. We need to make sure we do good. And in such sacrifices, God is pleased. So my family wasn't too thrilled with me. I hope God made up for it. I'll know when I get there. Praise God, it's not if. So he tells us we are to worship. That is praise. That is sacrifice. And doing good. And sharing with others is a sacrifice. God is pleased. Now, again, in our general culture and in, in humankind as, as in general, children, until they get to be about teenagers, want to impress their parents. So they want to do good. And they, they want to be like dad or they want to be like mom. And then all of a sudden, we're the stupidest people in the world and they want to have nothing like us. But there is a period of time when they want to be like daddy and they want to be like mommy. And they want to please us. We tend to be teenagers as it comes to spiritual. We don't much care about what God thinks. Maybe we ought to. Maybe we should care if he is. Maybe as we sing, whether it's a hymn or a, a uh, current uh, Christian song or whatever, or we're chanting Gregorian chants, whatever it is that we praise God, maybe in that one moment say, Father, are you pleased? Are you smiling? What can I do to please you? As opposed to what can you do to please me? 
Then now he starts to meddle in church life. Verse 17, obey your leaders. And he's talking about spiritual leaders. He's not talking about the king. Obey your leaders and submit to them. We don't like it when wives are supposed to obey their husbands and submit to them. So you're not going to want to obey and submit to this jerk. What it says. But the reason you're supposed to do that is for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. One of the hardest things for pastors to do, and so we generally don't do it, is to individually look at where you are spiritually. Because that's hard, because I can't see behind the veneer of, of how you fake it. It's wonderful. Praise God, I'm doing wonderful. It's much easier to count the gluteus maximus is in the seat. And so when we have more people in the pews, we go, I'm doing a great job. And when we do building campaigns and we build new buildings, we go, I'm doing a great job. Notice it doesn't say that they have responsibility over the building program. It says that they have responsibility over your soul. And on top of that, I have to give an account. Oh, God, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and that's going to be, that's probably why it's going to be quiet in heaven for a period of time. Everybody's going to go, oh, he's talking to Joe again. <laughs> I have to give an account. That's why we're told not to, many of you, to, to become teachers and the leaders and whatever. Because you've got to give an account for your ministry. You've got to give an account for your souls. And so I can't say, well, you know, they seem to be doing well. I have to give an account. It's kind of like the master who gave the, the uh, 10 denarii and the 5 denarii and the 1 denarii. And I, I don't get to bury you guys in the ground and say, well, I, I put you in the ground. When he comes back, wonderful. No. I have to show growth in you. And then it says this, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Oftentimes, because I am bi-professional, people will say, you know, they'll, they'll question two things. One, they can't reconcile attorney and pastor because both, they either think both of them are reprobates or they don't see how the reprobate attorney can be a holy guy. You know? So there's this, this disconnection, this dis dissonance of pastor and attorney. But then there are others who, who kind of think, well, that's a lot of time commitment. And for those, I say, the difference is, is that generally there have been times in the past where it has been difficult to deal with with the church and it saps the energy and strength and you just go, oh God, it's Sunday. Can't it be Monday again? But for the past most 95% of my ministry here, when given the opportunity to preach and to teach, it invigorates me. I will come, especially on Wednesday nights, because 
you work, you do whatever. And you just go, I just, you know, I'm tired. I, I just don't want to be there. You go, and I'm more invigorated after, because we've had a chance to teach and to discuss the scriptures. So when it is problematic, it sucks the life, and your leader doesn't want to leave. And it's not profitable for you. He's not trying to teach you. He just wants to get out of the way. And that's why, and, and, I, and I'll tell you a joke that I, I frequently tell pastors. You pastor will come to a church, and he first day in, sits in his office in three envelopes. And there's a little note that says, after the first problem, open the first envelope. So the pastor's there about six months, and there develops problems. So he opens up the envelope. and says, blame me. The pastor, that's good advice. So he blames the former pastor for all the problems. Then after about another six months, there's some more problems. So he opens up the second envelope. He goes, blame the deacons. Good advice. I like that. So he blames the deacons on all the problems. And then after a while, then there's about another six months, there's some more problems. And he opens the third envelope, and he goes, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> all too often that's that's what we do is we just blame 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 and then get out and the average especially i don't know about other places but baptist generally the pastor leaves is there about 18 months now either you are greatly have great endurance or whatever i've been your pastor since 1998 I'm, I'm wiping out the curve on 18 months. So it's probably much less than that. So you're either to be commended or I'm the luckiest pastor in the world. Amen. <laughs> so there, there's this, this sense of, so you are responsible. I'm responsible for you, but you're responsible for how I accomplish my job. Not to make it more difficult. Because then you don't get the benefit. So we're told that we are to praise. We're told that we are to do good. And we're told to obey. But he also gives us one piece of advice in verse 18. It says this, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. His instructions to the Hebrews and to us is we are to pray for those who are ministering elsewhere. It's not just about us. It's not just about our ministry. It's not just about what we're doing. He's saying, pray for us. We're not there, but pray for us. And when you do, maybe we'll get to see you sooner. Now, when I've said a few things about prayer, you may think that I'm not big on prayer. Doesn't matter whether I'm big on it or not, but yes, I am. I think prayer is communication. I think prayer communicates your feelings, your desires, your wants to God. He then listens. And if you allow him, we'll communicate back to you. That's dumb. Do this. 
or wait a while or whatever. But oftentimes we give God our list of things that he's supposed to do, and then we check out. Prayer is communication. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. Even if I didn't think much about prayer, the Bible does. The Bible instructs us to pray. Jesus' disciples said, John taught his disciples how to pray. Why don't you teach us how to pray? And he gave us what we call the Jesus' prayer, but it's the disciples' prayer. Jesus' prayer is found in, in John uh, 17 on. And he instructs us how to pray. And he tells us we're not to have vain repetition. Kind of to the point. He also tells us we're supposed to forgive others before we seek forgiveness. He instructs us. Prayer is a very significant part of the Christian life. And so I'm a big fan of prayer. I'm just not a big fan of giving prayer the glory instead of God. So he instructs us to pray. He says, pray for us. And all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Notice he doesn't say, I'm never going to see you again. He says, if you pray, it's my desire to get there sooner letter than later. Think of the benefit, as we've gone through this letter, this writer has had great insight into God's plan. And he's revealed that to these people. Can you imagine what else he has to tell them the sooner he gets there? And so he said, I I wrote to you what I wrote to you. But there's more. I want to get there and I want to share it. Be a part of that ministry where I and you communicate the love of God. So prayer is essential in the Christian life. They say that the public schools have banned prayer. I disagree. Wait till there's a test. And even those students who don't believe in God pray to anyway. Because you need somebody's help. Because you didn't study. Prayer is essential. And prayer is a part of what we need. And so he instructs us in these few verses. 15, 16, 17, 18. To simply worship God as a sacrifice. To praise him. To do good. To obey. So that we might more effectively teach and lead. And to pray for others in their ministry. Because in that, that may also benefit you. And even if it doesn't, think about who he's, this writer is ministering to while he's away. And the awesome thing about it is we have this idea. Well, if you're in a really big church, then you can minister greatly. Well, Paul was in prison a whole lot. He even got to lead a jailer and his family to the Lord. You don't say, well, when I get in a great circumstance, boy, am I going to minister. God goes, no, no, minister where you are. Share where you are. Praise. Do good. Follow, obey, and pray where you are. 
So I'm going to wrap up with praise. You can kind of tell your relationship to God by how much you want to praise. All too often, the first thing that happens in our lives when something bad happens, we say, why me, God? We like to blame God for a whole lot of stuff, but we rarely ever praise him. But the more we are related to him, the more that we have prayed, the more that we are concerned about what he thinks, the more we pray. And we're going to sing a song in a, in a, in a moment called 10,000 Raisins, Bless the Lord. For those who are walking closely with God, after they name off 10,000 reasons, they'll start 10,001 and 10,002 and 10,003 because God has so blessed us that it is so obvious that there are so many blessings that 10,000 is not enough. If you're not walking that close with them, you know, you get to about six or seven or nine or ten, and then it starts slowing down. Well, well, my 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 grandmother, who's now dearly departed, she was a blessing. She was a good Christian. I praise you for her, Lord. And uh, uh, oh, that time I I was scared on a test in the third grade, and I prayed and and I got an A. Thank you know, and then we slow down. But if you are walking with and you are communicating with him prayer, and you're doing things, then you will know and can recite time after time after time after time a reason to praise him. And it doesn't have to be because of circumstance. It can be because of circumstance, because of who he is. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me, but I love him because he first loved me. I can praise him for all that he's done. I can also praise him for all that he is. There are more than 10,000 reasons. But I would encourage you to inspect how quickly you will run out of reason. And that will tell you as a great guide exactly how close you are to him. Self-inspection. My job isn't safe. You're not doing good. I, I want to point out there because that way I didn't pick anybody. You're not doing the job. I want you to point at you and going, yeah, I'm, I don't have those 10,000 reasons yet. So I'm going to work on it a lot more so that I can quickly go through the 10,000 and go on 10,001 and 10,002 and 10,003 and 10,004. And when I get to heaven, I will be able to say for 1,703,276,412 reasons that I'm worshiping you is because 10,000 is such a small number. But let's start with that. And all God's people said.